Co. This is the flagship pod, a weekly live podcast exploring the stock market, the economy, and the various market forces powering the world around you. As always, I'm your host, Peter Starr, bringing you this time, you know, welcome to yet another period of unprecedented events here in American history. We are coming to you live from a moment where a former U.S. president has been indicted amidst, you know, an abating banking crisis and potentially the end of our really bad sort of hyperinflation situation. So literally too much going on to kind of break down for the market, but hopefully we can organize it for you as best we can. As always, audience, to help me unpack that mayhem, I am, as always, joined by Justin Kramer, CEO, co-founder, and chief analyst here at Moby.co. Hey, Justin, um, what's going on, man? Uh, How are we even going to begin unpacking this wild day in the markets, right? Yeah, obviously, every week just feels crazier than the next at this point. Um, It seems like the market has more or less completely forgotten everything that's been going on um, in regards to this banking crisis, and now they're moving towards Trump indictment that happened last night and, you know, the market and the the news cycle just clearly has a very short term um, memory here. Exactly. And audience, um, if you're listening to the recorded version of this podcast, you are a lot closer to making sense of that indictment than we are. The indictment is currently sealed. It's going to be unsealed on Tuesday. This podcast is recorded on Friday and published on Monday. So you are going to be a lot closer to knowledge here if you're listening to the recorded version of this podcast. So right now we're getting a lot of hot takes about anything that could be happening. But until we get, you know, that arraignment, that um, uh, actual listing of the potential 34 counts that are being uh, filed against former President Trump, we have no idea what this kind of means. Instead, we kind of have to discuss just the unprecedented nature of this. Like, no former sitting U.S. president has ever been indicted of an actual crime. Nixon got pretty close before he got pardoned by Richard Ford back in the day. Um, So really just weird period here. The market obviously craves stability, and this kind of feels like one of those moments that can create instability. So is there anything other than that we can talk about, Justin, or should we just acknowledge Trump got indicted, it's insane at the top of the show, and then get into the rest of the markets real quick? Yeah, obviously, to your point, we're not going to know how this shakes out until next week when a lot of these these things come out under wraps. Obviously, at first glance, um, it's it's nuts. Whether you're a Democrat or Republican, it doesn't matter. Uh, a former president or president of that matter has never been indicted ever. Um, so whether we see him in handcuffs or he surrenders himself, there's going to be, you know, he, he's being brought in on, on charges. So the the severity of this cannot be understated. Um, again, it's hard for us to say how strong or not strong the case is. We would imagine, based off the fact that he's being indicted and it's never been done before for any president, leads us to believe it's probably pretty serious, especially since it's been rumored that there's over 30 criminal counts outside of just the hush money that he gave Stormy Daniels uh, and another uh, related adult star. So, I mean, long story short, it's it's definitely way too early to say how this will all play out, but obviously has a lot of downstream impacts for tensions here in America, tensions abroad, the 2024 presidential elections, then ultimately whoever wins because of that, the policies that come, it's going to be like similar to the sense in COVID where this one event can ultimately be lingering for years. Um, Not saying that Trump would or wouldn't have won due to this event in the 2024 presidency, but obviously if he's found guilty or um, depending on how it shakes out, it'll, it will ultimately change the course of history. And then again, if DeSantis, another Republican, becomes the primary frontrunner for the Republican Party, they win instead of him winning or the the Democrats get elected again. Like, again, 
the world's going to end up going in a lot of directions. If the Democrats win, they'll keep this, you know, agenda of ultimately trying to raise taxes uh, to to stop the deficit and stop it instead of stopping the spend. They'll look at green energy, and then if Republicans win, um, it's kind of the, the opposite of that: stop government spending on a lot of programs, uh, continue spending on military defense, um, probably not as much on the green energy side. So. Again, this has massive impacts for every sector, every company within that sector. Um, but again, it's it's hard to say how it all shake out at this time. Exactly. And it's one of those things, too, where um, you really can't even begin to predict those downstream effects. It would not be the first time a president, if he gets convicted, it wouldn't be the first time that a person ran for president from prison. We also had a socialist candidate in 1920, Eugene Debs, run for president, get 3.4% of the vote from jail. Um uh, he like it was a whole World War One thing he was in jail for. Uh, I mean, I guess history literally repeats itself. We're a hundred years later, and we're not even not not on the same side of the political spectrum, but in a similar situation. So honestly, yeah, pretty wild. I mean, this, this has definitely happened before. I mean, obviously Nelson Mandela. Not that I'm comparing Trump to these people, but Nelson Mandela went to jail. Obviously, we know how that shook out uh, in Russia right now. If you haven't seen that documentary on Navalny, um, he's in jail right now. I highly recommend watching it seeing how Russian politics are playing out. And yeah, I mean, this is, it's nothing new abroad in the U.S. It's obviously uh, a little unprecedented to a certain, to a certain extent. And the main, and the main thing is, is that the market craves stability. And this is potentially one of those kinds of things that creates instability. So frankly, the next 72 hours, or at least until actual Tuesday, is critical here to see just how, it's a big stress test for a political system that has been under a lot of strain re lately, as we've been kind of like exiting consensus reality as, you know, if you're looking at polarization or asymmetrical polarization, however you want to see it, um, you're, you're watching kind of a bifurcation of like the narratives of what the United States actually are based on, you know, political lines, people being chronically online, getting a little bit too into sort of their, their polarized sides here. So um, right now, kind of encouraged because nothing's blown up yet, but we will have to wait and see until Tuesday to see how bad this is going to be. So largely transitioning out of this the market is more reacting to a perceived end to what we had for the past you know month basically which is a mini banking crisis uh the dow the s p the dow and the s p are going to end up um on the quarter and by the way folks welcome you made it you are if you're listening to the recorded version of this welcome to q2 uh what a wild 2023 it's already been a lot even more ups than ups and downs than 2022 somehow but you know at least we're looking at a lot more potential positive news we're seeing a lot of really encouraging signs here but justin let's take a quick pulse check of that banking system is the banking crisis over can i start speculating again in like ridiculous um software stocks or is it just taking a temporary reprieve before something else breaks yeah, uh, I mean, again, similar to the Trump thing, it's hard to say how this will all play out because there are so many downstream effects. For now, it seems like a lot of this contagion has been contained. Obviously, contained is a very interesting word to use because Silicon Valley Bank went under. First Republic was kind of bolstered up by the other large banks in the U.S. Silvergate went under and you know so on and so forth. So there is definitely a contagion, but when I say it's contained, I mean, going forward, it looks, fears seem to be abating in the short term, but that doesn't mean that they're necessarily going to go away. Um, the markets are looking towards right now, any reason to have some sort of positivity. So inflation coming down in Europe, inflation lower than expected, reported today by the PCE in the US, 
they're looking at this again as positive news. We're getting towards the end of the interest rate hiking cycle and the world runs on debt. Um, and they're completely negating, again, a handful of other risk factors that are at play. So when you say or ask rather, is the banking crisis over? For now, it seems to be, but there's no reason that it can't continue and or start going to other industries. So, you know, look at example for the commercial real estate industry in the U.S., which is one of the largest industries in the U.S. Um, there's a handful of other factors that could potentially cause it to have its own crisis in the way that banking did. Um, it runs on debt to buy commercial assets. Uh, those commercial assets are now going to be depreciated a ton and there's a huge, huge capital losses, similar to what happened with the banks that haven't been realized yet. So if you bought a property at $10 million at the peak of low interest rates when people were in the office, and now people aren't in the offices, these commercial properties aren't being used, and rates have 3X'd, well, your real estate hasn't been marked to market every day in the way that your equities do. But realistically, you know behind the scenes that whatever you have is you're sitting on a massive loss. Um, and that's not just going to be for an individual, you know, holder of real estate. It's going to be for a ton of people, um, even if they got in at relatively high interest rates. Again, there are a lot of people are sitting on these massive, massive losses. And this market is in the billions, if not trillions. So if if there's some sort of, you know, run on commercial real estate, people are selling off to capitalize uh, on the low liquidity they have. Real estate starts selling at decrease. Next thing you know, you're looking at a major run on commercial real estate. So we're not saying that's going to happen. It's just a small example of what could happen. So the point is to illustrate that we are not out of the clear by any means. There is still a long way to go to the bottom. Um, you know, things could rebound, but the the risks are still very imminent. And you consider, you know, any excess or outside geopolitical risks, uh, inflationary risks, famine, Trump being in jail, like there, there's a lot, or sorry, being indicted rather, but there's a lot going on. So long story short, banking crisis potentially over doesn't mean that there aren't other contagions or other black swan events waiting around the corner. Um, it, it's, it's really taken its toll. The Fed raising rates, it's hard to say, you know, what can be affected next. It's, it's kind of these huge, uh, like domino type events where one domino falls, then the next, and next thing you know, it just ends up kind of going super quick. Exactly. And I think one thing that we, um, one thing our analyst team is watching really closely, but we're not really to make a call either way on just yet, is the commercial real estate industry. We're seeing a lot of like troubling signs. Obviously, the whole return to office situation you know, you're hearing a lot of noise about it, but not a lot of signal. Like there's a lot of signs that a lot of companies are still playing the remote work game. People aren't filling offices as much. And there's just this giant pile of, you know, not losses just yet, but like, you know, properties that are not as valuable as they were objectively, like lots of rents not going to get paid. So we're not really ready to say, you know, how bad this is going to be. And there's a lot of ways that there can be pivots around here. There are a lot of ways that maybe we can keep getting back to the office, so to speak. But um, definitely the beginnings of a potential seed change there. But again, not ready to make a call either way, but definitely something we're watching very closely. Obviously, the the other main part of this is PCE inflation, which you alluded to earlier, Justin. Um, we're finally getting to a point in our core inflation where it's not just energy fluctuations that are saying that inflation is going down. Um, core inflation only went up 0.3% um, in the uh, this month, which is huge. The market expected a lot more than that. And it's not just like energy price fluctuations. Of course, 
Inflation is finally getting air quotes under control in Europe, but that's just because energy price fluctuations have swung in the other direction now that we're outside of winter, right? So there's a lot of ups and downs across the entire Eurozone, but the whole Eurozone itself is air quotes only at 6.9% year-over-year inflation right now, you know, compared to where we are, which is more in the sixes. So the key thing, audience, I want you to be watching as we sort of get to this point where people start seeing the narrative that inflation is over is here is take a look at the CPI when it comes out, which is going to be mid-month. We're looking at two weeks from, you know, another game day type CPI. We're looking for anything besides the energy levels there in the red going down. If that's if we're seeing that, then we're seeing actual inflation come under control here. But again, it remains to be seen exactly what's happening because the main thing driving inflation up in the first place was a lot of different things. And the main thing driving inflation down has just been fluctuations in energy prices as the price of oil has stayed pretty low relatively. It's going up and down a little bit, but it didn't you know go up nearly as much as it could have thanks to the Russia-Ukraine situation, thanks to some you know kind of shrewd macroeconomics on, on the part of the West, right? So... Justin, uh, anything else we should be looking into as we think about inflation? Like, are we really going to be out of the woods here? Are we looking at one more rates rise this year and then that's it? Uh, I kind of feels like, you know, better days are around the corner. I mean, I, Bloomberg, honest to God, in the middle of the week, used the bull word very briefly to describe the NASDAQ. Are we actually getting close to thinking about bull times again or is it way too soon? To, and, you know, we're just looking at another cute little bull trap right here. I mean, kind of as I alluded to before, uh, right now, the market is just trying to find any reason to push higher uh, amidst kind of all the fear uh, and reasons why they're, it shouldn't be uh, or why they should be fearful, rather. So it's a very interesting time. And again, like Bloomberg, other people want to be pushing this positive narrative. And like the S&P is up 7% this year amidst all the chaos. So, you know, there, there's a lot of noise going on when we start like starting to push a level deeper and peel back, you know, the, the wraps on top, more or less, we're seeing a few different things. So in relation to inflation and then how that uh, impacts interest rates, ultimately the Fed during their last meeting and their notes from the last meeting, which is the most recent data set we had, alluded to the fact that they potentially would rise, raise rates maybe one more time, and that would likely be it for the rest of the year. And there wouldn't be any cuts for 2023. The market, however, is pricing in a different scenario. They're pricing in, you know, a 50-50 chance of no more rate rises for the rest of the year. And then past that are seeing rate cuts in the back half of the year. And the reason for the discrepancy between the market and the Fed is because the market is anticipating that the Fed will be forced to decrease rates if ultimately the economy falls into a deeper recession. There's another you know, black swan event waiting around the corner like we talked to before. Um, at the end of the day, they want to slow things down, but their goal isn't to put us in a massive recession that's going to take years to get out of. There's a very fine line, and they refer to it as kind of like this soft landing if possible. Um, at the end of the day, they've made it clear that their number one goal is fighting inflation. But if we move into a deep recession, that will hopefully... <laughs> kind of fix inflation within itself. So again, their goal is slow down the economy enough that inflation slows, but not enough where there's a massive, massive hole that we fall into. So it's a long-winded way of saying that ultimately where we see this going is we're probably on the side of the market in the sense that we see further rate decreases in the back half of this year, which would then you know stimulate some sort of potential bull run. Having said that, again, 
there could be any crisis sitting around the corner. So like, regardless of what you're seeing on Bloomberg or CNBC or whatever site you get your financial news from, yes, the outlook potentially is a little bit more positive. We're on the other side of this banking crisis. Inflation is starting to decrease. Um, and we're starting to potentially see the end of the rate rises. So all things point to, you know, a stronger environment in the end of 2023 into 2024. But past that, there's any handful or, or any amount of black swan events waiting around the corner. Uh, the recession, the effects of the increase in interest rates is usually on a lag time. So whatever damage it's done so far, we haven't necessarily need, seen the totality of it. So I think our our really big takeaway is that we're investing very cautiously, which is what we've been doing for the last you know 12 to 18 months now is finding names that are oversold, adding to those positions, finding names that we believe could do well over a three to five year time horizon, and continuously adding to those names, knowing that if they go down in a month, they go up in a month, that's not necessarily indicative of how we feel about them. So Meta is, is a great example. We've hated Meta for years, very frankly, thought it was overvalued. Their transition to the metaverse was insane. There's a whole host of reasons that we actually discuss in detail on the site. And that's why the stock is down almost 50% from its all-time high. It was in the trillions for their market cap. Now it's at ha like roughly half a trillion. So recently we've seen a massive focus on profitability. They're going back towards their focusing their efforts on their main source of revenue, which is advertising revenue. Um, and ultimately that's really gonna be the focus for them. And that's why we've seen income start to creep back up. And now at you know 50% off its all time highs, and a refocus on the right things financially, it makes sense for us. So we don't really care what's going on in the market, you know, if there's a massive pullback. As long as they're doing the right things, they're protecting themselves, they have enough capital. If, you know, again, some black swan event happens, that's what's most important for us. So to answer your question on is this bull market territory, it's really going to be on a case by case basis for each company, how they're performing. And again, we're trying to hedge out as much risk from the S&P 500 and the Dow Jones or whatever index you're tracking and just finding the companies within that are set, that are set up in the current macro environment to do well over the next three to five years. Exactly. And then just real quick, audience, just so you know, that kind of uh, analysis is pretty taxing and we put a lot of work into it to make sure that we find those companies that are matching sort of the narrative to the moment. So just so you're aware, this podcast is brought to you by us, Moby.co. You can always check us out over at Moby.co slash go and get sort of a better perspective on what we're thinking of t in terms of long-term view on all of these stock picks. We've been trying to think more individualistically, company by company, finding those strengths and weaknesses within the current market meta. Um, you know, we called meta to pretty decent time rather than a high risk calling at the bottom back in November of last year. There's been a lot of really good calls too. We're really excited about consumer discretionary. You can kind of catch us in the middle of our um, apparel series. If you go to mobi.co slash go, check us out there, get a free trial suit. We have on a long-term view suit. We're thinking about stocks like Nike and Lululemon as they sort of get their inventory under control and find our dark horse pick for that as well. Uh, again, mobi.co slash go audience, check that out. Thanks so much for listening. Let's get right back into it because Justin, you did also mention various things that can kind of spoil this brewing bull run, right? And I think one of the biggest ones that we have alluded to a little bit is the ongoing, you know, Russia-Ukraine situation. Like, we haven't heard a lot about it in the news. Like, Russia has been stalled out, but also Russia's in a position where they can just keep this going for years and keep disrupting the 
world food supply. And now, Justin, it's a very confusing kind of geopolitical moment because now President Xi of China has met with Putin and they've kind of announced a kind of strategic partnership, so to speak. So there's also a lot of brewing stuff in social media about, you know, China and Brazil trading in their own currencies, Saudi Arabia joining kind of the BRICS movement. Uh, can we kind of start unpacking this? Are we seeing some geopolitical stuff brewing right now that could, like, exacerbate inflation as we see kind of a bifurcation worldwide or are those kinds of concerns overblown right now like what's the deal with first up what's the deal with uh russia and china right now are they aligned with each other or is this kind of a split we're seeing yeah i mean that's exactly to touch on that i'll touch on that question in a second but that's exactly why these macro factors we need to be finding companies that can kind of operate well within them so the main criteria we're really looking for to kind of succinctly stay it better is sustainability. Do they have a competitive advantage? Is their business model like able to sustain for the next several years? Do they have pricing power? Is it a cost-efficient business? And are ultimately they growing with all those things in place? Again, whether the bull market or bear market is or isn't over or is coming is a little irrelevant. We think most companies aren't set up to do well and they might drop below expectations. But again, we're looking for those companies that can sustain. Um, past that, <clears throat> excuse me, past that, the China stuff obviously does then impact a handful of companies. And it's hard to say exactly how that will pan out because it's happening in real time. But effectively, what we're seeing right now um, is potentially a rechange in the narrative between China and Russia. So if you've been paying attention to the news, recently there was a quote-unquote summit between China and Russia. China came out and said that they were going to change the world in a way that hasn't been seen for the last 100, 150 years. And Russia and them now have this strategic partnership, you know, so on and so forth. But when you really dig a level deeper, what we're seeing is kind of the opposite of that. China is basically saying that Russia is going to have to play ball with them. And if not, there's going to be a massive issue. So if you look at parts of China or Russia rather right now, specifically within Siberia, Siberia is also similar to Ukraine as an area that's been bouncing back and forth um, in terms of ownership over the last 200 years. And so the people who actually live in Siberia have a very heavy influence to Asian culture. And China kind of views it as part of their country, too. And that's ironically where all of Russia's or most of Russia's oil comes from. And so with Russia fighting more so on their kind of southern front with Ukraine, if China were to decide to start to annex back part of Siberia, Russia then would be hard pressed on both sides of their country to be able to defend it well, and they wouldn't be able to. Um, and then furthermore, if they end up giving up a lot of the energy fields that they live on today, I mean, they would they would honestly be screwed and China realizes that. So when China comes out and says, you know, we're going to usher in this new era with Russia, what they're saying is Russia better do what we want. Otherwise, there's going to be massive issues. And if we obviously see anything with Russia right now and Putin, what's going on there, they obviously have their own agenda. So how we see this playing out is honestly further conflict between the two ish, uh, between the two countries. So while on the surface, it looks like they're becoming closer. What's really going on behind the scenes is potentially um, more animosity and more actually issues between the two countries. And it's not that necessarily China will be taking our side. They're going to almost be taking their own side. Um, but they're seeing this, you know, as a way for them to be opportunistic 
uh, and take back parts of their country that they think is theirs. So it'll be interesting if they actually do that, because then Russia will be completely defenseless and potentially hostile because they'll have no other option. So long-winded way of saying, we'll see how that shakes out. But when we look at the macro factors, that's ultimately going to have a massive effect going forward that we don't think most people are accounting for on accounting for so far. So if China does pay, take back parts of Siberia, they become more energy independent. If they become more energy independent right now, they're next net importers of energy, then they become a little bit more powerful and they don't aren't as scared as, you know, our threats, other threats as much because they they're starting to produce more stuff in house. If they're producing more stuff in house, then they probably are going to end up forcing tighter, uh, more or less trade rules with the U.S., which could lead to more inflation, um, and companies might not be able to operate there in a similar capacity. We're seeing what's going on with TikTok right now, China. So the picture we're trying to paint is that at any point, you know, no matter what's going on, if geopolitical relations change, the macro changes, it ultimately funnels down to so many sectors that could or could not be impacted, and that's why companies that are profitable produce cash flow, even if some external factor hurts them, they need to be in a position to weather that. And those are the types of companies we're talking about and looking for. And that's why that era or that notion of sustainability is more important than ever. Absolutely. Because the other sort of thing that we have concerns about when we're thinking about this inflationary environment is looking at what drove inflation first, looking at sort of the reverberating effects of a complete shutdown of the whole global system back in 2020, seeing how that has shaken out across the last three years and thinking what the next sort of reverberation could be. And the very next big thing could be food inflation, considering that, you know, one of the biggest food stocks we have in the world is wheat. And the two biggest wheat exporters in the entire world are currently at war with each other. And Russia can, you know, despite, you know, obviously not being as successful as they wanted to be, they can keep this going for a long time and they can, you know, put pressure on Ukrainian wheat exports. They can shift from attacking like energy centers to attacking agricultural centers um, to sort of like, you know, have more pressure within their uh, perceived needs to take over Ukraine to make that buffer between them and NATO, right? Which is going to get even crazier now that Finland joined NATO. We didn't even get a chance to talk about that, Justin, but not getting off, off on a tangent here. And then thinking about the fact that, you know, the next biggest food stuff rice is a big fast uh, a big phosphate drain uh, it takes a lot of phosphate to grow rice blah 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 science whatever um, and a china has a lot of those but russia has a lot of those as well if you have a conflict there it sort of messes that up so we're in a very interesting period when it comes to being concerned about food inflation as well that can sort of be the next big driver so sure we're finally getting supply chain stuff under control Every retailer, a lot of the biggest retailers in America, at least the successful ones that we care about, have figured out their inflation, have figured out their supply chain issues, have figured out their inventory, are on a path to not burning down all of their cash flow on inventory excesses by the end of the year, but that can just get instantly swapped out by not a food crisis, but, you know, a bit of a food crunch. You don't need that much to sort of keep raising prices. We remember, like, a little hiccup caused every company in the world to raise egg prices 70% uh, in January. So that sort of stuff is very much not over, especially when we think about sort of, like, the fundamentals that can be growing our food. Um, either way, Justin, that kind of gets us we're way over time here. I uh, really appreciate your time, dude. Anything else you wanted to talk about today as we sort of think about this again? We're in good vibes here but there are always like things we're balancing a knife's edge here when we look at the macro environment uh, things are very exciting but also 
cautiously exciting. Any final thoughts from you, Justin Green, before I go ahead and read the credits here? Otherwise, really great talk, dude, as always. I just can't believe it's already been half an hour. Yeah, no, there's, you know, even when the news seems quiet, there's obviously a lot always going on. 2022 into 2023 has taught us that. Um, so I think the biggest themes to watch for outside of the company-specific stuff is what is looming in the background that ultimately could have a massive effect on the economy. Um, things obviously are are very volatile. You know, we're seeing huge companies like Silicon Valley Bank go out of business overnight, and now it's being completely neglected, and they were running a massive sector of the economy. You know, that happened with crypto crashing. It happened with FTX. Like, there's no reason that there's not another one waiting. So we need to be really mindful and really defensive and, you know, try to avoid excess risk if there's not going to be some sort of excess return. The measure of risk and return always needs to be in balance. Um, there's no reason, you know, to invest in, in big projects or big companies that uh, that are taking on excess risk but aren't promising excess return. So we need to be very, very mindful of that. And again, if you want to be defensive and you want to be parking excess cash, obviously um, cash yielding accounts right now are earning close four to five percent for if you have excess cash and, and you don't want to you know put it in the market it's a great place to keep it on the sidelines um so again just right now last year you know this year just we need to be really smart and investing in you know a sector blind or an index blind is is not going to work we need to be smart and very very aware of what we're investing in and you know that's why we're here if you go to our site go to the app that's what we're trying to help you do is is analyze what's going on and constantly, you know, be that smarter hand in the market for you all. And it's a really great role to have. But audience, thank you so much for listening. It's a pretty great place to end it. We are, you know, we it's been a fun time in the stock picking era. And we're either, you know, in the eye of the storm or sort of the end of that as we get back to, you know, these sort of like blanket, just shoot all your money into the S&P 500 and forget about it type of era. But, you know, it's been fun overanalyzing everything and finding these these five-year um, <laughs> models, although a lot of work. Either way, on, it's really appreciate your time. Again, check us out over at moby.co slash go if you want to get a better idea of what our long-term perspective is. Download the app, see what our all of our dashboards are like um, a lot of good stuff coming this week we're finishing up our retail sector and getting back a little bit into software now that we're thinking maybe things aren't you know blowing up a little bit is 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 it so good idea to invest in china more on that later folks either way audience we really appreciate your time uh for now that's a good place to end it though so just so you know this podcast is produced hosted and voiced by me peter Starr. all the intellectual value that comes from obigo.co comes from our really hardworking analyst team which is headed up by justin kramer ceo co-founder and our chief analyst here if you have any questions for us you can feel free to hit us up at hello mobile find us on our discord or um you know leave a comment below anywhere honestly regardless check us out over at instagram and tiktok but for now it's a good place to leave it so let's just go ahead and as always folks we like to leave you with peace love and incremental gains everyone be well thank you so much